trust issues. We all have them. Where do they come from? And how do we overcome them? In this series, Trust Issues, we will learn how to thrive when it comes to our future, finances, loved ones, and relationships. All right, hello City First, how are we all doing today? We all doing good? How about our locations? Come on, let's give it up for Southwest Florida, Cape Coral joining us right now. Also, God Behind Bars at Dixon and Hardy Correctional Centers. Love you guys. Everybody joining us online and on TV, and especially also everyone here at Spring Creek who is also joined with our state line location. Let's give each other a round of applause for being here today. Come on, look at somebody and give them a round of applause. Yeah. Well, it has been an interesting week in America with the election, and you know what, I want to just say this, that right now I realize that about 50% of America is really happy and 50% of America is really sad, and it reminds me once again of the importance of prayer. And I realize you're like, oh, you sound so like a pastor right now. Well, it's because I am a pastor, for one. But number two, it is this, is that we must pray for our leaders. We must also pray for our nation. And this is a huge thing. When you pray, actually something happens to you. In fact, I will tell you, prayer works 100% of the time. Now, when I say that, some of you go, well, no, I've prayed prayers and it hasn't worked. Well, you know, maybe the prayers haven't necessarily manifested in the results that we wanted, but this is how prayer works. Prayer works 100% of the time in you. And you begin to see the world differently when you are in tune with heaven. So that is why we pray. And I wanna just encourage you this week and the weeks forward that you continue to pray for your nation, for your leaders, for your community, for your neighborhood, and also for yourself. And I believe that God is gonna do great things. Now, I wanna say this, uh, today we are beginning a new series, and it reminds me of an exercise that I did when I was in high school, and I believe it was in PE, I'm not sure, but I think it was in PE, that we did this thing called a trust fall, all right? Now, what a trust fall is, is where you stand stiff as a board, your eyes are closed, you kind of fold your arms like this, and then you fall backwards into people's arms. How many of you have done this before at all our, all our locations? Yeah, yeah, hands up everywhere, right? Well, this is scary, and here's the reason why it's scary. Do you know that you're only born with two types of fears, all right? The first type is this, is that you have fear of loud noises. The second type is a fear of falling. So that's why a trust fall is so hard. It is literally a core fear. By the way, every other fear that you have is learned. That's a totally different sermon, but let me just say this. Every other fear is learned, okay? But you, you and I both were born with a fear of falling. Well, sometimes these trust falls they don't go as planned. And I found this clip of a pastor who is trying to teach trust to his staff. Now, I wanna apologize. The resolution is terrible because this is an old video. But I just thought this was, uh, this was a little bit of an example of a trust fall gone bad. Watch this. Fall, and we're just, it'll be an exercise in building trust between one another. So Harrison, if you don't mind going first, uh, step up here on this chair and close your eyes. All right, and then everybody fill in. And we're going to ask you to fall, and then they will catch you. 
So you have to trust us. I'm gonna count to three. Just relax and fall, okay? One, two, three. No, wait, no, no! <laughs> that is amazing. Didn't say which way to fall. So how many of you know that this guy from this point on has trust issues, right? Okay. In fact, um, all of us have experienced something like this. Maybe, maybe we weren't physically falling, but you know what? We were trusting someone or we were trusting something and they said, hey, we'll catch you. Or it said, we'll catch you. And it didn't. And so from this point on, we have trust issues. I mean, maybe it was a parent in your family of origin. Maybe it was a son or a daughter. Maybe it was a boss that you trusted and he or she let you down. Maybe a friend or a spouse or a coworker. Maybe it was even an organization. Maybe it was even a church. Maybe there was something that you trusted or someone you trusted and they let you down. And now, now you got trust issues. Now it's like, man, I'm never doing that again, right? Well, today I'm kicking off this new sermon series called Trust Issues, and by no chance, by the way, is it a mistake that we are talking about this after the American election, all right? I have saved this series because I believe in the month of November, we're going to dismantle, prayerfully dismantle, one by one, some of the primary trust issues that you and I deal with on a daily basis. And here's the truth. The truth I wanna start off with today is this, is that you and I were created to worship. That's where we were created. We were created originally to worship. And by the way, can I say this? You are created. You aren't just some you know, mistake or some you know, kind of aftermath of some you know, sludge coming together a billion years ago and igniting and now all of a sudden you're here. No, no, listen, there was an intelligent creator that has intelligent design about you, created you. You are in the mind of God and you are a creation of his. And when we were created, we were actually created with something that is inside of like our DNA, it's inside of our personality and our soul that we were created to worship. We were created to worship. And so what we do is we end up worshiping something or someone. There's not a person alive that does not worship. In fact, it's not a question of if you worship, it's a question of what you worship or who you worship. There was this individual that lived about 500 years ago. His name is Martin Luther. In fact, uh, he is the father of what we now call the Reformation. And so basically it's because of him that we now have what is called the Protestant church movement that's been around for about 500 years. In fact, our church is a part of the Protestant church movement, all right? And he said this many, many hundreds of years ago. And I wanna just kind of put this as a baseline of today's talk. And that is this where God builds a church, the devil builds a chapel. Where God builds a church, the devil builds a chapel. Now, what does that mean? It means this. It means that when God is doing a spiritual work, the enemy will always create a counterfeit work that looks like the real work, but it's not the real work. And it's a place where people will worship something or someone besides God. They will look to the chapel rather than the church to find their fulfillment, their identity, their happiness, and their security. And what it is, it is a distraction from the one and only true God. And Jesus instructed us this way. He said that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul and all of your mind. Well, I'll tell you, the enemy will construct a counterfeit chapel. He'll construct something that has a small g God, which we will many times look to and we'll focus our heart on, our soul, and our mind on something that's counterfeit rather than the genuine one and only God. And here's the reason why. Whatever or whoever you worship becomes your source. You hear that? Because whatever you worship becomes your source. You look at it for your identity. You look to it for safety. You look to it for resource. You look to it for stability. So the enemy is so good. He's excellent at creating counterfeit chapels, little things that we will worship or go in to worship a small g God because we think that's where we're going to find our source. Jesus says it this way in the book of John chapter 14. I am the only way to God, the real truth and the real life. No one comes to the father, but through me. This is what got Jesus crucified. I'm just telling you right now, it was the exclusivity of his message and of what he is saying. He is saying that there's only one way to God, one way to salvation, one way to heaven, and he's the door. He is the only one that we can walk through. In other words, it is through a relationship with him. It's not Jesus plus other gods. It's not Jesus plus works. It's not Jesus plus anything. Jesus was saying it's only him. But the enemy comes along and says, oh, no, 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 no. I know Jesus says he is the only way, the only truth, and the only way to real life. But let me show you this over here. If you worship here in this little counterfeit chapel, you'll find what you really want. And the enemy's little counterfeit chapels have many different names. Let me, let me show you a few of them, okay? Let me show you a few of the names that are on his counterfeit chapels. This is a big one, by the way. This is one that I will tell you a lot of Americans worship, and that is this, money. It is the counterfeit chapel of money that the enemy tells us that money is our source, that if we want to have a secure future, if we want to be able to have a comfortable retirement, then we must have money. Money is our source. Here's another one right here. This is a biggie also in America. Relationships. All right. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with good relationships. But many times in America, what we think is we think to ourselves, if I can find Mr. or Mrs. Right, then they will complete me. They will complete me, Jerry. They will complete me. You see, this is the thing. If you find the right person, then you look to a person to be your source of happiness and security and safety and help. Here's another one. This is a big one also in our culture. It is success. In other words, people think if I could be successful, then guess what? Um, people will think I'm important. People will think that I have wisdom, that they will think that I am somebody if I have a certain amount of success. It's a counterfeit chapel. Here's another one right here. This is huge on social media. It is acceptance. In fact, some people will post things on social media that they don't understand or they do not 
really believe, but they post it just to get likes. You see, it's this idea of acceptance. Will you accept me? Do you think I'm important? Do you think that I have it together? These are little counterfeit chapels. Here is another one right here. Some of you have this one nailed down. Attractiveness, all right? <laughs> that was a joke. Uh, anyway, attractiveness, beauty, being handsome. We go to great lengths to wear certain things, to look a certain way, to do ourselves up a certain way so that people will think that we're handsome, we're beautiful, that we are in, we're not out. And so many times we try to get our identity or our security or look to our attractiveness as our source. Here's, here's another one, all right? You might not have ever thought of this one, but it's really big right now, actually. Um, ease. There are so many people that say, well, you know what? I want to be comfortable. And so they think if they have an easy life that that is going to give them the happiness that they desire. Can I just tell you something? Nowhere in the Bible does God promise us an easy life. Never, never. In fact, nowhere does it say that we're to have an easy life. In fact, but people, they strive after an easy life. They want an easy life because they feel like that will bring them happiness. Here's another one. How about this one? Intellect. Now, there's nothing wrong with intellect. There's nothing wrong with learning. But some people think if I learn, if I am intellectual, if I raise my IQ, then people will think that I'm important. And they look to it as a source. Here is the biggest one in 2020. In fact, if you had asked me, what is the fastest growing religion in 2020? It is this one right here, politics. Oh, baby, I'm telling you, if there has ever been a chapel created by the enemy that has distracted people from the real church, the real move of God, it has been politics. Do you really think who lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is going to make your life better? I mean, really? Do you think that they are your source? Because here's the thing, whoever lives there, yes, it's important. We need to pray for that person. We need to honor that person. But can I tell you something? At the end of the day, that person is not our source. That person is not the one that brings us happiness, security, or anything like that. And so politics can become a little chapel, a counterfeit chapel. Here's another one. How about this one? Vices. I'll tell you who won the election this week, the liquor stores. Google said that the, the, the search that was, quote, liquor stores around me, that search broke records this week. No joke. Like, it shattered records. There were millions of people Googling liquor stores around me. Here's the thing. Vices, many times, whether it be, you know, an excess of alcohol, whether it be drugs or whatever else, sometimes becomes an escapism. So people think, if I do these things, I will find peace. I will find escapism. I will find an ability to make it through whatever I'm going through. And so they look to vices to get them through things rather than God. The last one is this, and this is a big one also in America. It always has been. And here we are, things and stuff, otherwise called possessions, materialism. If I buy this, if I own this, if I have this, then I will be 
happy. So they look to a new car, they look to a new house, they look to new shoes, they look to new something to make them happy and to give them the satisfaction that they desire or the identity that they want. Basically, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you this, anything or anyone we look to more than we look to Jesus for our sense of stability, acceptance, identity, significance, security, fulfillment, by definition, is what we worship. Anything we look to more than Jesus. I'm not saying everything up here is bad, all right? I'm not saying everything up here is wrong, but I'm saying this, if you look to any of these things more than you look to Jesus, if you look to any of these little G gods more than Jesus, then you're going to have trust issues. You're going to have trust issues because they say, hey, I'll catch you. And guess what? They drop you eventually like a rock. There in the Old Testament, there's these uh, commandments called the Ten Commandments. You know, the Big Ten, right? Um, even if you're uh, not churched, even if you didn't grow up in church, if you're watching right now online or maybe you're visiting one of our locations in person, um, you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments. You probably even know a few of them um, off the top of your head, right? Um, you know, things like, you know, thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not commit adultery and to honor your father and mother and uh, thou shalt not murder and those kind of things, right? Well, do you know the very first commandment reads like this? It reads, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the very first one. Now, can I tell you something? You may have never thought of this before. You can't break the other nine commandments unless you first break the first commandment. It's the reason why it's the first commandment. Now, you may have never thought of this before, but this is the thing. You do not lie or steal or commit adultery unless internally you believe that someone or something besides God will be your real source of hope and joy and happiness. Like, like it becomes a, a little God, right? That takes the place of the real God. You don't lie on your income taxes unless you silently believe that having the comfort of a little bit more money is more security and fulfillment than what God can give you. In other words, I'm not trusting God for my future. I'm trusting my way to kind of like cheat the government. You see, see little gods begin to take their place on the throne of our heart, and then pretty soon we start breaking all the other commandments. We're tempted to put other things before Jesus, all of us, all the time. Even me, your pastor, you, anybody else, we all wanna put little G gods on the throne of our heart all the time. In fact, the problem with the devil's little chapels is that they're filled with idols that promise us happiness and leave us with trust issues. Now, you heard me right. I use the word idols. I know some of you are like going, oh, Jer, this is, this is America. We don't have little golden statues like in the corner of our houses or, you know, that we don't have these idols. What are you talking about? Those, those are in underdeveloped nations. Oh, oh, oh no. Listen, we have a, a lot of idols in our nation. We have a lot of American idols, you could say. You see, you see, the root of every sin is idolatry, which is a failure to look to Jesus for our salvation, identity, hope, and happiness. Every single sin. And everybody, even people who say, well, I don't believe in a God, I don't believe in religion. 
well then they themselves are their own idol. In other words, they're saying, I don't need God, I'm enough. You see, an idol says, trust me, I'll catch you, I got you. And you know what? The idol catches you for a little while until finally you become so dependent on it that pretty soon it steps back and it lets you hit rock bottom. And then you have trust issues. There's a story in the New Testament about a man who had trust issues. And honestly, it was a man who had an idol problem. Now, we don't read it that way. When I read it, you're going to go, oh, I never saw it this way. But I mean, think about it in the context of what I was just talking about. When it comes to counterfeit chapels, when it comes to idols, listen closely to the story and see if you don't understand what I mean. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, it's a story. It says that Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem. A man came running up to him, knelt down. So, I mean, like, evidently the man respects Jesus and asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, why do you call me good? I think that's a great response, by the way. Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But then he kind of shifts gears and he goes, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. Now, these are the commandments that I was talking about, the Ten Commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery, Jesus says. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. You need to honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Now, this next line is very important. Mark puts it in here for a reason. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Now, let me stop. The reason why I'm stopping is because what Jesus is about ready to say is not out of frustration. It's not out of angst. He's not playing gotcha with the guy. He's not trying to trap him. He's not trying to do any of these things. He loves this man. There's a genuine love there, but what does Jesus say? He says this, there is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. There's an idol problem here. There is a counterfeit chapel problem here. And that is that this man has put his trust in his many possessions, which resulted in a dependency on money, and this man was not able to truly follow Jesus because he already had a God he was following. He already had a little chapel that he was worshiping at. And yet, we know this from experience and other teachings of Jesus, is that those other gods were going to let him down eventually but he went away sad. See, Jesus knew it, and he spoke to the idol in this man's life. It wasn't a physical idol, but it was an idol. It was a little God on the throne of this man's heart. You can always tell when Jesus is speaking to you about your idol because you begin to be get, get defensive. You, you start to kind of go, oh, no, 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 no. In fact, I will tell you, it's kind of funny. When I led, I purposely led with this one because this one's gonna offend the most amount of people. All right, 
I put this up here, and this is the one that everybody goes, oh, it's one of those sermons, right? Mega church pastor, always wanting money. You know, that, that, that's what I led with, and here's the reason why. This is the one that brings out the most defensiveness in us most of the time, because people get funny when you start talking about money in church. And here's the thing. We need to realize that sometimes our defensiveness is an indicator of the presence of a small g God. Our defensiveness. Now, some of you didn't get defensive on that. You got defensive on this one, politics. Or you got defensive on relationships or whatever else. Wherever there is defensiveness, there's probably self-deception and a striving for self-salvation. In all of us, in me, and in you, in all of us. I'm not pointing a finger at you, it's in me too. Because Jesus will speak to the idols in my life and he'll speak to the idols in your life and Jesus will lovingly and relentlessly challenge us to dismantle the idols in our hearts in these counterfeit chapels until we understand that our source is only him. One by one, he's gonna make us uncomfortable with the idols that are in our lives. You know, when, when, when an idol has a hold of us, a great indicator of how powerful that hold is, is when we begin to lose that idol. When we, there's a chance that it's gonna be taken away. Like for example, if the relationship might go away, and all of a sudden we get panicky. We, the success might go away. All of a sudden the 401k starts tanking. All of a sudden the things and the stuff start breaking. All of a sudden our politician that we wanted in office did not get elected. All of a sudden that someone tells us that we are drinking too much or that we are spending too much time doing other things. All of a sudden we start beginning to feel it starting to be taken away and we get super panicky and defensive. That is an indicator. We need to look at that. There's an indicator. Why are we hanging on to it so much? It's because we have an unhealthy dependence on it. And Jesus knows it. And so we have to ask ourselves, how did we get to these counterfeit chapels? Like, in other words, how do we start trusting these things? Well, there's four ways, and I'm gonna say them real quickly. First one is this, your environment your upbringing. In fact, the environment you grew up in formed a worldview for you. And maybe for one reason or another, let's just, let's just use money as an example. Maybe you grew up in a, in a family that didn't have a lot of it, a lot of money, and you struggled. And, and, and you know what? All the other kids that went to school had nice shoes and new clothes, and you didn't. And so now all of a sudden that you're older, you, you start to have a little bit more money and what do you do? Man, you're hanging on to that money because you do not want to have you or your children or your family go through what you had to go through. So your environment many times conditions you about these counterfeit chapels to think a certain way. Maybe you grew up and your mama told you, you better look a certain way if you ever wanna get a guy. You better dress a certain way if you're ever gonna get a guy. And so now all of a sudden you're older and you're thinking to yourself, I need to look perfect. I need to make sure that I am dressed perfect. I need to do all these things because someday I wanna get married. You see how our environment many times will shape our worldview regarding these counterfeit chapels? The second thing is this, is other people. Other people telling you things 
will begin to shape your trust. In other words, uh, if, you, if you hear, you know, that, that you better be successful, if you're not successful, you know, you're gonna be a loser, and, and, and these are the ways that you're gonna be successful, and you have people telling you things. Maybe it was in high school, people told you you had to act a certain way, do certain things if you really wanted to have happiness or be liked. So many times, there's, there's other people telling you these things. Third thing is this repetitious information. Whatever you hear over and over and over and over and over and over begins to become truth in your mind if you, are, if you don't watch out. So what does advertising do? Advertising in between, you know, hikes today, uh, snaps during the football game, um, when they take a commercial break, all you're going to hear is you're going to hear you need to drive this car, you need to wear these clothes, you need to shop at this place. You're going to hear an onslaught of advertisers saying, if you want the life you've always wanted, here are the ways to get it. You hear that? And you hear it over and over and over again. That begins to form your trust habits. The fourth one, the last one is this, your experience. That you know what? You... Uh, you have trusted things before and it didn't pan out, so you're not gonna trust them anymore and you're gonna trust something else. Maybe even for some of you, you trusted God and for one reason or another, it, you know, that, that experience was disappointing or didn't meet your expectations and so you decided, I'm not gonna trust God again because you thought that he let you down, right? Our experience many times will form our trust habits. Can I just say this? The devil doesn't want you to experience the payoff of trusting God because then and only then will you understand the good life that Jesus gives us, the life that is more abundant, John 10, 10. That's what he said, that I come to give you life and life to the fullest. You won't experience that unless you fully trust Jesus. That's why, that's why the devil doesn't want you to trust Jesus. He wants you to worship at this chapel. In 2 Peter, says this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises as some people think. Some of us need to remember that, that just because when you worship God or you look to God and he doesn't immediately, immediately meet your need, immediately fulfill your prayer, immediately meet your expectation, that does not mean that he is absent or that he's MIA or that he's asleep at the wheel. See, those are the moments that we're tempted to run back to a chapel rather than in the church worshiping a true God. I think 2020 has made a lot of people run to the chapel. I think 2020 has been a shaking for all of us. It, is, it has been terrible. I mean, honestly, 2020, can I say this word, has sucked. I say that, is that okay? All right, you okay with that? That's kind of, we speak like that here at City First because we speak real, all right? This is the thing, it, it has been bad, all right? So what it has done is by the millions, and I'm just speaking only of America right now because it's my only context, but I will tell you that by the millions, people have ran to the counterfeit chapel and they've looked to these things to get them through or to bring them happiness or security or fulfillment or identity. This is why it's so important to attend City First on a consistent basis, whether it's online or in person. And here's the reason why. You gotta constantly remind yourself that these things are not gonna bring you happiness. And it's gotta be a repetitious information 
over and over again. In fact, you know what? Many of you, you, you know, maybe you're watching online right now and you've been a little inconsistent on watching or participating. I wanna just challenge you be here every week during this series because we are gonna talk real and I'm gonna help you. By God's grace, Jesus is going to, to, to have some truths, I believe, that are specifically for you to help you realize that he can be trusted in and he won't give you trust issues. He won't give you trust issues. Being a part of a life group, being a part of growth track, go on our app and you can find out more about that. Our hearts are always going to start drifting back to the chapel, always. And it requires constant effort to stay worshiping the one true God. I remember as we close today, uh, story of uh, uh, when I was in Thailand many, many moons ago. This was many years ago. I was there leading a missions trip of young adults. And if you've ever been to Bangkok, Thailand, um, on the corner of many of the street corners in the city, there are these little shrines. They're like spirit houses. And um, many times they'll, they'll have a Buddha or something in them, or it's just a, a spirit house. And and people will, on their way to work, or on their way home from work, or on the way to the grocery store, or whatever, they'll stop and they'll burn a little incense, or they'll lay some flowers, or maybe put a little coin or something like that um, on the altar in front of the spirit house. And, and it's their way of um, asking uh, their God to give them fortune and favor and blessing. And I was standing there uh, with a young adult and I noticed something that over to the side, there's a little ticket booth and, and, and next to the shrine and the ticket booth was selling lottery tickets. So what people would do is they'd buy a lottery ticket and they'd walk over and bless it and then they would go on their way. And it was, just a, it was a very interesting kind of scenario. The lottery tickets were next to the shrines, you know, the lottery ticket booths. And uh, the young adult I was there with looked at me and goes, do you really think that they think that taking a lottery ticket and going in front of that golden statue is gonna make a difference? And I said, yeah. I said, because they put their trust in that God to provide them a future, to provide them blessing. But then I looked at the student, because I could tell this young adult was kind of being a little, kind of like talking down about that culture. And I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You need to realize this. Americans do it too. I go, we just do it different. So don't, don't, don't you dare start thinking to yourself like somehow we're better. <laughs> no, uh-uh. Americans have idols too. They're just different ones. Ours are not maybe made of gold and sitting on a street corner, but rather ours are in our bank account or on our screen, or maybe it's a person or something else. Ours just look different. It's, it, it, we, have, we have idols too. In fact, we have little shrines. In fact, I'm gonna show you a shrine, a very, a very popular shrine. It's this one, Times Square. And some of you are like going, is Times Square bad? No, Times Square is not bad, but you know what? I've been there many times. I've stood in the middle of Times Square. I've looked around and I will tell you right there in that space, Every idol represented in America, almost, is there shouting at me. You have the NASDAQ that is showing me my money. You have a clothing brand that says, wear me. You have a food restaurant brand that's saying, eat me. You have sex, you have entertainment, you have beauty, you have fame, you have everything saying, this is the life. Oh, you see, our, our street corners look different but that doesn't mean that they're void of idols. In fact, 
in Times Square, it was shouting at me in bright colors, saying, trust me, you will have everything you want if you allow me to catch you, is what they were saying. And here's the thing. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. So guess what? All of these things are gonna catch you for a little while. They'll say, fall back, fall back. And guess what? They're gonna catch you. But there will be a day, the Bible speaks to, that there'll be a day that sin is no longer pleasurable because here's the verse, it ends in death. Now, not just literal death, but a death of your soul, a death of your dreams, a death of what happens inside of you spiritually when you start looking to anything but God to do what only God can do. So I wanna just end today by saying, if you are looking to a little God, I hope that today, and I'm gonna use a word that's not very popular in our culture, but I hope you repent because that's a Bible word. That's a Jesus word, by the way, that we repent of our ways. And we say, Jesus, forgive me that politics has been my God, that this vice, that success, that ease, that this relationship, that things, money, whatever. And you say, God, I need you, you to be on the throne of my heart. Now, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior or the leader in the forgiving of your life, I wanna just pray a quick prayer and, and give you an opportunity to do that. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, you know what? I've never made Jesus Lord. He's never been on the throne of my heart. I've never given him my life. I've never asked for forgiveness of my sin. If that's you, or maybe you did it years and years ago, but you've drifted, this is a great opportunity to allow him his rightful place back on the throne of your heart. So I'm gonna pray a prayer and I just want all of us to repeat this prayer after me. Will you say this prayer, all of us, at all locations after me? Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I put you on the throne of my heart. Forgive me of all my sin and all my wrongdoing. I look to you as my source. Thank you for your unconditional love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, we just want to celebrate because that is the most important prayer you've ever prayed in your entire life. And I guarantee you, there were people here at Spring Creek, at Cape Coral, God Behind Bars, online, state line, you name it, everywhere that prayed that prayer. So can we give God a huge round of applause? Can we do that real quick?